0: The Review, a podcast from the Atlantic's culture team about movies, television, and all the things we make to entertain ourselves. I'm Shirley Lee, a staff writer at The Atlantic, and I'm joined today by two other staff writers on our culture team, Hannah Georges. Hey, Cheryl. Hi. And Spencer Kornhaber. Hey, hey. How are you both doing? It has been a while since the three of us have hopped on the podcast together, and it's been a while since our last music podcast, so I'm psyched.
1: Yeah, those were both 2021 memories, and I've blocked out that year, so I don't even know what we talked about.
0: (laughs) So in case you didn't see, the 64th Grammys were this weekend. There were some surprise wins and some possible snubs. So we wanted to check in about music in general. Spencer, the last time you and I talked music on this podcast, we were talking about how pop music was in its... Breakup era, all uh, big.
1: That's ca- it's coming back to me now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was all big, cathartic emotions. Adele's latest album had just dropped, and it was dominating the charts. Taylor Swift was going through her re-record phase. Billie Eilish was being happier than ever, rather than playing the bad guy. And of course, Olivia Rodrigo was the story of 2021 mm-hmm. with the ballad, Driver's license and her subsequent single, spawning album *Sour*. But the story of the Grammys wasn't really about all that catharsis, was it? There, there, uh, there seemed to be a theme to the evening that's run throughout recent pop music, and that is nostalgia. <laughs> so the Grammys have always been kind of old-fashioned, but even the big artists themselves have been in a nostalgic phase, and we kind of saw that over the weekend, Spencer. Where did we see nostalgia on Sunday night?
1: Going to the night, a lot of people expected this would be the evening of Olivia Rodrigo, who is 19 years old and was previously mostly unknown except for viewers of uh, Disney TV (laughs) programming prior to her song blowing up in 2021. But yeah, I mean, when she came out, it seemed like, you know, sometimes people are like, music has no future and there are no new ideas. We are stopped making... Culture uniting pop stars—we're uh, done. We're cooked. And Olivia comes along, and she's like, "Well, actually, what if we had a Disney Channel star who grew up listening to Taylor Swift and also likes emo music and has really good pop sensibility and is really good at social media? And um, what if this is the next sound in pop music?" And everyone was like, "Yes, let's do that. That sounds great." <laughs> so it seemed like this would be these Grammys would kind of be a victory lap for her. And they sort of were. She won Best New Artist, which is a big prize, but um, she didn't win Record of the Year, Song of the Year, or Album of the Year. And those prizes went to artists who make um, really pleasant, throwback, <laughs> wedding ready soul music. Um, and <laughs> yes. I, I want to tread lightly here because I do not want to come for Bruno Mars or Anderson Pack of Silk Sonic, who are very talented musicians and um, put out a hilarious single, Silk. Um, Leave the Door Open, which one Record and Song of the Year. And I don't want to come for John Batiste, who is um, an amazing jazz pianist and uh, band leader and great guy and the music director of The Atlantic Magazine,
2: uh, mm-hmm. who won it for
1: Album of the Year. But it was a little surprising that this kind of very familiar sound, the sound that you could have heard at the Grammys, really, at any point in the last 50 years, was what won out over arguably more vital and dynamic and innovative artists like Olivia and some of the other nominees that night. So that was um, a little deflating for some people, but uh, it's also Grammys are going to Grammy. (laughs) Yeah. What what did you think, Hannah?
2: You know, I thought for the first time in a while, it did actually feel like music's biggest night. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, nostalgically, yes. Right. Like in the sense that it felt like you did have, um, you know, you had this big sweeping performance from Olivia Rodrigo. You had a few things that were sort of gesturing toward pop music of now and of the future, you know, but the night also tied in, uh, as you were saying just now, music that is palatable to people across multiple generations.
0: I agree with you both. It is really hard, first of all, to judge all of music and then to try to package an awards show about that to appeal to everyone. So then you definitely have someone like Lil Nas X taking the stage and doing Industry Baby. And then you've got Lady Gaga doing her like 1940s cosplay, (laughs) right? Like (laughs) you're trying to hit all the beats. But when you look at the Grammys as a whole, there was certainly a preference for Silk Sonic. They had wrapped the previous year's show and then this time they opened this year's show. We're going to tell you one time and one time only, Vegas. Get up! There! Get up there! But if we zoom out from the Grammys, there's also been a lot of nostalgia in the sound that we hear. It's interesting that we can talk about Olivia Rodrigo as a new, shiny pop star, but she is also borrowing a lot of the sounds mm-hmm. from her past. Yeah. And if we look at the other pop stars on the scene, right, Dua Lipa is in the middle of a disco revival. So I do wonder... For the two of you, whether you agree that nostalgia is influencing the biggest hits of our current era,
1: well, there's you're hitting on like what's a perennial debate in popular music that has become a little more pronounced this year. Yeah, there's been a number of artists that have, that've have really been in this super explicit retro phase. Um, you know, someone like The Weeknd came out with an album that, uh, in January that is just this impeccable concept album about basically uh dying in a car crash in 1984 and having mm-hmm. like living in the radio station um that was playing then and it's it is it's excellent and it's completely pastiche. And you're right, like Olivia who I was just saying is so innovative. You listen to um her single Good for You and it's so close to Paramore's Misery Business that they had to give that band a writing credit. Mm-hmm. But I think the more I would just listen to it and I was like, wait, the last, the very last second of this song reminds me of something. And I was like, what is it? What is it? And it's like the exact same guitar stabs as Green Day's um, Stew." Like, like it's just, they're, they're, it, like her music is absolutely this pastiche of uh, things we've heard before. But on the other hand, that is what popular music always is. Mm-hmm. What's maybe different right now is that due to streaming, we are very aware of how much people are listening to what they've always listened to. And Mm -hmm. maybe it feels like there's a little bit of less of an appetite for the new. I don't know. Are you feeling that in your own life, Hana?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I also don't drive anymore, right? So all of the Mm -hmm. time um, that I at least would be spending kind of organically discovering music or listening to the same songs over and over again um, by virtue of what New York DJs decide (laughs) is interesting, I don't have, right? Um, And I think- Mm -hmm. While that is very true of me being a person who lives in New York, I also think that in general, the radio doesn't occupy as big um, a bigger place in people's music diet as it used to, Right. And so, you know, now you can go, you can listen to Olivia Rodrigo and then immediately go and listen to Paramore and get stuck on the Paramore album Uh (laughs) in a way that just like feels very different um, than if you're just out and about and kind of having things presented to you as opposed to going out and seeking out the familiar, seeking out what you know, you know, is good and comforting uh, during a time when perhaps we are all still actively seeking comfort all the time. All the time, constantly, 24-7. <laughs> desperately
1: need it. <laughs> well, and this is, maybe you can speak to this shortly, but the, the streaming has done something similar to Hollywood, hasn't it? Where it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's created this appetite for comfort viewing and for rehashes, right?
0: Right. I mean, when it comes to TV and film and all these big streaming libraries that all of these different companies have put together, they are trying to keep you in their libraries by presenting their previous hits so you feel this warmth towards something that you perhaps have seen before and then you are indulging in it again because it brings you comfort you know that this is something that you like and this is something that you will feel for lack of a better word safe watching in fact i think this is a good point to bring up our colleague john padist's speech from sunday night the creative arts are subjective and they reach people at a point in their lives when they need it most. It's like a song or an album is made and it almost has a a radar to find the person when they need it the most. That's kind of a profound statement to make, right? Like that's, that's almost going against what we're saying about how streaming pulls us into our old habits. It's almost like what's out there finds us when when we need it.
1: Yeah, and this March, Steely Dan found me, and I just could only listen to (laughs) (laughs) it.
0: But going off of that, I did want to ask you specifically about Batiste's win. Is it just the Grammys, again, Grammy-ing, or does it capture a moment that we're feeling?
1: Well, I would ask either of you, had you listened to John's album, We Are? Which Outside of media?
2: ads, no. <laughs> I have to admit that. <laughs> right. Same. I had not I had not purposely sought it out at any point.
1: Did you know anyone who was talking about it?
2: I can't say I did. <sighs> Me neither.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it peaked at 86, I believe, on, mm-hmm. on the Billboard charts. I just was looking up reviews for it, and Rolling Stone gave it a one-sentence review. <sighs> you know, it's like it, it wasn't yeah. this momentous thing in the musical mm-hmm. discourse. On the other hand, he is this kind of fixture for a while now that people really know and like. You know, he's on TV every single mm-hmm. night on the Stephen Colbert show, which tons of people watch, my parents watch. I mean, late night TV is just like a big big force. Um, you know, he did the Pixar movie Soul, he did the soundtrack. Um, he's just kind of like been around. He's like a good industry guy. He plays Instruments, he leads a band. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a lot of reasons to imagine that the um, general body of the recording academy, which is made up of other people in the music industry, might see his name on a list of 10 people and say, Hey, I like that guy the most and vote for him. Mm -hmm. There's also kind of like a structural factor. This year, the academy expanded the nomination pool to 10 nominees, which is a lot of Mm -hmm. people. And what it means is that you have someone like Olivia Rodrigo, who seems like maybe the consensus pick. But she's competing against Billie Eilish, another Grammy's favorite, Taylor Swift, another Grammy's favorite. And the three of them are gonna split a lot of votes because they kind of appeal to similar sensibilities. And you kind of go down the list and you see a couple different acts that cancel each other out. Like maybe someone might vote for Doja Cat, or maybe they'll vote for Lil Nas mm-hmm. X, but you're not gonna get the plurality because they're both competing against each other. And John Batiste just wins partly, probably because of vote mm-hmm. splitting. And that's there's nothing like there's no scandal in that. But what you end up having is, yeah, just kind of like old timey, not really in the conversation, album winning, which is something that's happened again and again in Grammys history. But it's not his fault.
0: <laughs> that's so interesting. So to win a Grammy, basically, you need to not make much noise. No pun intended. Maybe. Like if someone like Olivier Rodrigo is the supernova, right, who just explodes in the year that the Grammys is ostensibly honoring... John Batiste is something like a like a North Star who's just always in the sky in the <laughs> background. Not not making headlines, just always there, night after night, playing Stephen Colbert, winning an Oscar for soul, <laughs> and therefore just someone people generally like enough to pick. Yeah. And that's right. That's that's not a knock against him. It's just the idea that that's a constant. And if there's a constant, perhaps that's also why we find ourselves drawn to nostalgia. If the new is something too shiny, too explosive
2: that we can't really honor. Spencer, I think you call him one of the most visible working musicians in America. And there's something really interesting in that to me, right? It's not just that he's on late night and that he's, you know, that he's done the music for Soul. It's also that there's, I'm curious about whether the Academy sees something particularly interesting or valuable or, um, I don't know, demonstrative in awarding someone who is so publicly working and, you know, putting uh, those hours into the craft in a way that we don't necessarily see as vividly or as clearly um, with someone like Olivia Rodrigo or with somebody like Billie Eilish.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a very like old school idea of musicianship. It's like he literally presses the keys on a piano and creates sounds that (laughs) move through the air. And, you know, there's something, I wouldn't say novel, but that certainly is different than you know olivia and her producer you know laying down some tracks and putting them together Mm in a studio it feels different you know and it speaks to the way that um it takes a long time for people to adjust their standards of quality and to adjust their uh, rubric for understanding the kind of work that goes into making certainly a lot of pop music but also other genres such as hip-hop which is always struggling at the grammys like people don't understand that the musicians in those genres can be just as much of uh, work people as John Batiste, who they see on TV and I, you know, sweating it out.
0: Yeah, it's it's so interesting because this is a conversation that we can certainly fold into the way we honor any other artistic medium, right? Like, we, we talk about this with performances all the time, where it's kind of like the big histrionic performances tend to be the ones that get, you know... Honored because that's what we think is capital A acting, (laughs) and it's so hard to explain the subtleties that go into an actor's work. Um, And I can I can imagine, you know, if if uh, you're seeing someone actively, you know, plinking on a piano, that is certainly a display of musicianship. That's different than just stepping up to a mic. Uh, I think that's probably why Justin Bieber, after his performance at the Grammys, was crying.
1: He cries oh a goodness. lot. Does, you, don't, you can't say that. You don't know what he's
0: crying. <laughs> All right, never mind, never mind. I, I was <laughs> just wondering if maybe he was like, I finally showed them I'm on
1: Well, the but piano. that performance, I mean, do either of you want to describe that performance, which is hilarious?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I say you take it away.
1: <laughs> well, it's the song Peaches, which is about, um, what is it about? It's like about eating, is it like actually about eating peaches or like a sex metaphor is it about... It's about like But it's about smoking weed And like Having like The hot girl And like It's this laid back Kind of R&B Hip hop inflected thing Um, But he like He came out And he did it On the piano at first And he was like So slow And just so Like it's like He's singing a Celine Dion song or, Or something
2: I took my chick Up to the north Yeah Badass bitch
1: That is the Grammys. That is pop musicians trying to like create this sort of like aura of of respectability so that they can be seen Mm -hmm. as these kind of like working traditional musicians in addition to these, you know, celebrity supernovas.
2: And it's particularly incredible because, you know, Justin Bieber has had a following forever or what feels like forever now. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's a TikTok song. To be clear, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's a song that found the majority of its footing with listeners, with people who are consuming it on TikTok. And that's not necessarily a knock against it. Like there's plenty of music that comes to me by by way of TikTok. um, That comes to a lot of us by way of TikTok. And also, yeah, this particular dissonance of seeing him sit down with that level of, of drama uh, to perform this little TikTok jingle was was yeah. really something to behold.
0: Especially when TikTok capitalizes on your short attention span. And here he is being like, you're gonna listen and watch me <laughs> 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 elongate this song. <laughs> but going off of this, I do want to ask you then, what do you think the reputation of the Grammys are today? Has it changed because the academy did expand its membership. It was trying to break the mold. And if you look at the results this year, while well, the the big four winners were people of color, there were some mm-hmm. breakthrough winners and nominees and what is the reputation of the Grammys?
1: Well, Hannah you said I was music's biggest night and actually up to that <laughs> wonderful tagline.
2: Um, I was being a little facetious. <laughs> if you can believe it. Um, you know, I mean, I think that they they managed to feel um, less irrelevant than usual, which I know you know is a pretty tepid endorsement, but <laughs> what I mean by that is that, right, like It's true that we didn't see Olivia Rodrigo win a bunch of the things that people thought that she was going to win, right? But this is also an award show that finally honored Jasmine Sullivan, right? Where we got Mm -hmm. to see BTS do this, like, incredible, (laughs) delightful performance, right? Suit air
0: guitar? (laughs) Suit air guitar. By that, I mean, yeah, their performance involved them (laughs) taking off their suits
2: and using the suits as air guitars. Incredible, right? Like, who could...
1: (laughs) And it had lasers. <laughs> and it had
2: lasers. You know, and I have I have trouble imagining that happening in like twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen, right? And maybe mm-hmm. that's kind of me uh having you know bias against those years from, from this level of distance but it did feel a little bit different in that way right like that there were these moments where even in kind of hearkening back to past shows it felt a little fresher like the mm-hmm. the moment when Megan The Stallion and uh, Dua Lipa were getting ready to introduce the best new artist award and kind of did that little like oh you know are not you in the same outfit as me <laughs> thing right hey, not just all my look Well, I was told I had the exclusive. I'm going to have to have a talk with Donatella. And I was like, oh, this is 1998. This is Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston. Mm -hmm. And also we're doing it in like Megan and Dua's sort of very very young, very uh, boisterous, boisterous way. Um, and so th- those things felt a little bit different this year and a little bit more dynamic, certainly than than last year, which was sort of this quiet, reserved thing. Um, but I don't know that I would say the Grammys as an institution is kind of barreling toward the future. <laughs> just a slow crawl.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the deal with the Grammys is that they're a notoriously hated institution because they have over and over again just completely missed the ball on awarding what was the most significant and historically memorable album of that year Mm -hmm, right and this goes way back you know i was just reading like variety was like was 1992 the worst grammys ever because (laughs) um that was the year that uh natalie cole's album won album of the year and that's you know in the same era that nirvana's nevermind came out you know fast forward to 2008 which was the last time that Mm. a black person won album of the year and that was uh a Herbie Cancock album of Joni Mitchell covers, which, you know, was musically luminous, I'm sure, but uh, it seems a lot less significant in retrospect than Amy Winehouse's Back to Black. And it happened mm-hmm. over and over again. And so, so, so there's that track record that it's always going to be fighting against. And I think you can't really say that it, that it shook that off this year. But um, right. the other thing about the Grammys is that it has been, it was run for a long time by the same group of dudes. There was one dude, Ken Ehrlich, who had been producing the show since 1980 until two years ago. And so, all those years that you've sat through four-hour ceremonies that, like, featured (laughs) totally bizarre mashups of artists and, like, Mm -hmm. you know, young musicians forced to do these, like, covers of 50-year-old songs or, like, Elton John performing with Eminem, which actually was kind of a good moment, or, like, J.Lo doing the Motown tribute for some reason. Like, all these kind of like really weird things you've seen at the Grammys and you're like, why am I seeing this instead of like actually the song that defined this mm-hmm, year for me? Right. That was mostly the doing of Ken Ehrlich who was chasing these Grammy moments. Um, and there was also the president of the Academy, Neil Portnow, who was there since like 2002 and, and only recently stepped down. And, you know, he over the years said a couple of things that were seen as sort of dismissing the contributions of, women and of people of color in the industry. And, and, you know, he tried to um, make amends, but really we're in a completely new era In the past two years um, where we have new leadership and they've really made some pretty deep reforms, such as getting rid of like secret committees that secretly select who the nominees are going to be in the name of diversifying and, and making the show a little more relevant. I think some of that is working and you certainly have a show that's like way less chaotic and just... (laughs) straightforward, and it's like, here are some musicians from this year singing the songs Mm -hmm. that you all know. And that's nice. It's nice to not, like, have my blood pressure spike during the ceremony too much. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, I think it is kind of, like, turning the ship, but it is funny that the way that it's turned the ship ended up with the slate of winners who are breaking boundaries by not just being Mm. kind of white dudes who tend to win, but also making this extremely traditional, familiar music Mm. uh, when there were kind of more innovative offerings available. And that is my Grammy's speech. (laughs) Thank you for this award. I'd like to thank my agent. Goodbye. (laughs)
0: Thank you to the Recording Academy. (laughs) The Grammys have also been, as we've talked about, you know, criticized over the years just as pop music has been criticized over and over again for being nostalgic. You know, in this very publication, our colleague James Parker wrote a piece in 2011 saying, our obsession with musical nostalgia is strangling pop. (laughs) Very recently, we also read a piece from the writer Ted Joya, who said that old music is quote unquote killing new music. (laughs) So why -hmm. don't we just start with that? Is old music killing new music?
1: I mean, the Ted Joya piece that you're mentioning got a lot of attention online. You know, he presented this data showing that in the past two years, listenership for quote-unquote catalog songs, so that's songs older than 18 months old, was Mm -hmm. outpacing listenership for new songs. And that's an incredibly sort of shocking statistic when you just see it presented to you. Mm -hmm. And so people, you know, extrapolate a lot of stuff from that. But one thing that it really just represents is that uh, streaming is allowing us to quantify the things that we were listening to already. So, like right. when, for example, I listened to Steely Dan's "Black Cow," uh, that goes <laughs> on the ledger in a way that uh, it wouldn't have gone on uh, ten years ago when I was just listening to it on CD or vinyl or whatever. There's also this like very noticeable trend of you know, a lot of reissues, a lot of remixes, a lot of sampling, very overt interpolation of old hits going on in the Mm -hmm. charts. It's a tough thing to talk about because the deal with pop music is that the only things that ever succeed are a blend of novelty and familiarity. You know, that's the case in all sorts Mm -hmm. of arenas of life. But like, especially in pop music, you can only like iterate a little bit on what's been done before without like going into the realm of being too experimental, too far of the curve, too indie, too alternative to mm. really catch the ears of the audience that, that really, just, like, they don't, you, like you, when you get obsessed with a new song, it's not because that song confused you. Like, it's, it's because it <laughs> like, threw you in. Um, so yeah. it has to really be on that edge of, of old and new. But definitely, we're in a moment where, you know, we're very aware that we, have these playlists of um, songs that we all listened to at summer camp in 1998 that uh, <laughs> we're gonna that we keep returning to and like and that's being reflected back to the industry in a way that they are trying to monetize.
0: It's here's the thing I I worry about you know us uh, saying that it's uh, it's too hard to assess music as a whole because what we're moving toward is um, instead of having a song of the summer you're having a sound of the summer and it's that mm-hmm. really annoying chipmunkified version of oh no. Oh no! Oh no, no! No! No!
2: No! No! Do you know what I mean? It's yes. like—are
1: you talking about the TikToks?
2: Yes, this I'm really talking. is the review sponsored by TikTok today, guys.
1: Well, no, I think we need Shirley. Shirley is our TikTok correspondent, so, so. I,
0: I am not. I refuse. Um, but it is just like sounds are being fed to us—snippets as opposed yeah. to entire songs—and and I do worry that we are moving in that direction. And when we look at the numbers what's topping YouTube video charts are the songs that parents are playing for their kids. We're spending Mm. too much time looking at our Spotify numbers and and thinking that we're only listening to things that comforted us from back in 1998. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And at some point, we can't actually figure out what music we like or if there's even a monoculture around music. It's just sounds.
1: (laughs) I think you're right to bring up the Oh No, Oh No song um, with TikTok. (laughs) Because like... That is another confusing thing that happens when, you know, I try to like look at the charts and I'm like, what is, so what is this song that I've never heard of, but this artist I've never heard of? And it's usually a TikTok song that came out of um, nowhere. And, but sometimes those like end up real artists. I mean, that's kind of like how we got Lil Nas X. That's true. Have you seen anything on there recently that I should be, um, that I definitely already know about and and, uh, have (laughs) opinions about?
2: (laughs) Um, I'm sure you've heard the Hours and Hours, the Mooney Long song
1: absolutely
2: like, yeah that <laughs> <laughs> i mean <laughs> i feel like i had that stuck in my head for a strong six weeks um and that might be because time means nothing anymore but she's <laughs> she is an interesting <laughs> case study to me mm-hmm. um because i went back and i watched the music video for that song which came out in november of last year and it's just like It's just her kind of dancing around a room with a lot of clocks on the wall. (laughs) Um, And it seems very clear that whenever this music video was made, that there there was no perception, there was no plan, you know, that she was going to be that the song was kind of going to be this sensation. Um, And so it has been interesting to watch that and to see people respond to her and to kind of um, going back and and checking out her her old stuff. But that's probably the one that, you know, kind of got under my skin the most, at least. Mm -hmm. You know, she was on Jimmy Fallon like a month ago, right? Like there's movement Mm -hmm. happening there in a way that I do think is very TikTok influenced.
0: Yeah. This just made me think about Bella porch
1: <laughs> is that the build a bear song
0: that the yes the build a bear song and she Except it's not build a bear but she also came up through tiktok but not through music she was doing like funny little facial expressions while lip syncing to music huh. and now i i just saw I, I don't know if any of you get cosmo in the mail <laughs> <laughs> but the she's on their latest cover uh and the cover line is the next pop breakout phenomenon and I was like Whoa, that's not who I would have pegged but also that build a song is catchy but also what is the pipeline to becoming the yeah. next big pop phenomenon anymore?
1: <laughs> well the TikTok I mean facial like facial expressions? It, uh, it does seem like TikTok is, is breeding this kind of uh, trend in the music industry of trying to create songs for TikTok, which mm-hmm. means trying to have this really like cute gimmick that lends itself well to like a joke, right? Like, mm-hmm. and so the yeah, Build a Bitch yeah. song is totally that. There's also that song, uh, the Gale song, A, B, C, D, E, F, U. like Yeah. yeah. Which there's like a whole story behind that where Gale, this young, this teenage musician was like supposedly on TikTok asking her followers what she should do for her next song. And like one follower was like, oh, write a song about the alphabet. And she's like, oh, I don't know, A, B, C, D, E, F, U. And then like people have kind of called into question how authentic that whole like story that played out on people's feeds mm-hmm. really was but in the end you end up with like this like
0: mm-hmm.
1: hugely successful song and um I really tried to resist it but I think <laughs> I'm giving up and I've decided she's the second coming of pink and like it's actually <laughs> going to go on my summer playlist.
0: It's funny you say that because that does bring us back to the question that we've been asking this whole time, is all music just recycled music? Is she, if she's the second coming of Pink, is she she Mm -hmm. just using Pink sounds? Was Pink using someone else's sound?
1: Yes. Anyway, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But, you know, it's, it's, uh, our colleague, um, Derek Thompson, he has that book, Hitmakers, and he writes about that concept Mm -hmm. of of most advanced yet acceptable. And that's kind of what we're talking about this whole, Mm -hmm. whenever it comes to pop music. It's like how how advanced can you be, but still be um, palatable and in pop music, you can't, you can't go that far, but mm-hmm. if you sound like Paramore or Pink, you can kind of push it somewhere a little new too.
0: Yeah. There's, there's a sweet spot, right? And it also does depend on the artist. I was thinking about, um, of all people, Willow, as in Willow Smith, mm. <laughs> mm. but maybe the Smith we should be talking about who, who's having like a punk rock moment and she's, Unique in that punk rock space because when you think about the people who have occupied the punk rock space, they tend to be, you know, uh, white bands. <laughs> and she here, she is pivoting into a genre that you don't necessarily see artists of color navigating. So, so I don't know. It's what I'm trying to say is it is kind of a blend of trying to hit that sweet spot of new but old enough uh, for people to be into the sound, but also presenting yourself as an artist who is unique and. I don't know, pop stars are the ones most capable of reinventing themselves, right? So why are we so worried that they can't reinvent an entire genre, <laughs> I suppose?
2: <laughs> I'm trying to think of who who I would think of now as a pop star who's kind of reinventing the genre or parts of the genre. And as you were talking about Willa, I was thinking about... Um, Normani and like what mm. is interesting to me about her is that she is sort of so classically like pop princess in a way that I think um feels very nostalgic yes and almost out of time right like she feels sort of mm. like and she's in it doesn't necessarily feel to me like she's doing 90s stuff um or 80s stuff or you know early 2000s stuff In 2022, Mm -hmm. it feels to me almost like she was kind of plucked from 99 (laughs) and like plopped (laughs) into our time, which is a little bit different than, you know, the Olivia Rodrigo thing we've been talking about, or even um, the Sonic thing where you're sort of hyper aware that like, these are, you know, 36 year olds making music now that sounds like (laughs) what they grew up on or what their parents were playing or what have you. And Mm -hmm. I, I wonder if if the way that she does that lends itself to part of why she, you know, I don't think has necessarily taken off in a way that is reflective of how talented she is, right?
1: Well, she needs another, like, she got, she needs to release more music, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yes.
0: <laughs> Normani, it's been a while. Normani,
1: come on. I, <laughs> I mean, get she it. gave us motivation, <laughs> also, right? Yes. It was totally that 1999 vibe. Um,
0: yes. Yeah. That was in like, the aesthetics more right, in the dancing that's true. Because I agree with Hannah that the sound is kind of just plucked from at d- any any time any space. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I just uh, I've been trying to think about what it is about her that feels again sort of out of out of time. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Maybe it's the Simon Cowell. F- I'm kidding. We don't need that. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> true.
1: <laughs> You know what, uh, I,
0: think, I think maybe at this point we should return to the main question then. Um, for both of you, if you had to distill it down, why why is pop music so nostalgia-obsessed these days? Was that a weird way to say it? <clears throat> Let me say it again. These days. Uh, <clears throat> why is pop music so nostalgia-obsessed these days?
1: You know, um, I- because we're sick of the present and we don't <laughs> see a future and we're just... Uh, burrowing back into our comfort zones. Just kidding. I don't think that. I think that it's just sort of like this is how pop music always works. And we're in a particular moment when you can really trace lines of influence and explore every um, little reference more than ever. And um, Mm -hmm. we live these on the internet, which is really uh, a machine that creates recombinant art. And uh, that makes us more aware of the fact that has always been true, which is, uh that most things are remixes of other things and um we're able to have more intelligent conversations about it and hopefully artists can still do the nostalgia thing but um just coast on it i do think like things like the grammys Mm -hmm. do invite people to sort of coast like what i really hope for bruno mars and anderson pack is that the next thing they do uses the incredible like musicianship and and Hilarious character work that they did with Sonic, and like, mm-hmm. just like push it and like, like show us what the new version of that could be for the 2020s. Like, not the version that we could have seen, you know, in in 1979. Uh, that would be. Mm-hmm. I know they're listening, and and I really, um, <laughs> I'll be disappointed, you guys, if you don't do it.
0: Yeah, you're you're <laughs> leaving the door open for them. <laughs> oh, <Cheryl>. sure. <laughs>
2: face grown away and <laughs> holding that in my back pocket uh, oh i know And you know what i'm i'm proud of you for waiting this long <laughs> to break it out um <laughs> i think on that note
0: it's time to close the podcast with a recommendation
2: what have you been listening to on repeat recently hannah Well, I mentioned this to Spencer the other day, but I've fallen down a serious rabbit hole of Congolese and in general, just like francophone Mm. (laughs) R&B, which uh, has been... (laughs) Which has been the rare uh, musical discovery uh, rabbit hole for me. And even, you know, that really only happened because I have been Duolingo-ing my way to extremely remedial French uh, since January. (laughs) And so I started, you know, I started seeking stuff out for a very specific purpose, right? It wasn't that... Mm -hmm. um, youtube was like hey we think that you like music from ethiopia so try this music from congo um and i will give a specific artist and album yes,
1: recommendation
2: please. there's an album called el maya Love" by an artist named ya levis y-a-l-e-v-i-s who's this congolese singer who's the first kind of uh r&b singer i accidentally stumbled upon in my quasi francophone journey <laughs> and you know, he just has this. There, there's something sort of early 2000s R&B about it, but it just, mm. you know, he has a, an extremely like melodic, sweet, almost voice, um, and it's just a really good, really good album. So that's that's what I've been playing on repeat, including on the many flights I have taken lately. So I've found that particularly comforting of late.
1: Was that the mm-hmm. song you sent me the other day that really calmed it is. me down? Yes. Yeah, that really worked. <laughs> <laughs>
2: It's nice, right? Um, Aisha in particular. You know, I'm a sucker for this. is a very like African music thing, Um, not too generalized. But uh, I'm a sucker for songs that are you know titled after women's names Mm because they tend to be particularly sweet or sort of begging or there's something about that that I I generally tend to enjoy. And Aisha, one of the songs on this album, is no exception. Spencer,
1: like all of the music Twitter people. I have fallen for this band this year, Wet Leg. You either of you know them? No. Um, Same They are a duo of somewhat cheeky British ladies who make (laughs) indie rock that sounds like, you know, kind of like name your indie rock band and and you hear them (laughs) in the influences. It's like a little bit of Sonic Youth. It's a little bit The Breeders. It's a little bit of the B-52s. It's Mm -hmm. sort of like really kind of, Punky, perky, a lot of like prickly guitar sounds, and then she's just like hilarious, deadpan lyrics. Um, their big song, Shay's Lounge, or at least somewhat big, it's like did okay on TikTok and it's like number thirty on alternative radio or something. It like features quotations of the "I'ves your muffin buttered" line from Mean Girls. Uh, <laughs> oh, initially, wow. I really resisted it because I'm like, this is a little gimmicky, and there's been a wave of of like post-punk talking bands and they remind me of this other band dry cleaning which made my favorite album last year but um listening more like it's it's really good funny hilarious listenable make you run fast will make you um uh there's like one song is about going to a party and you're kind of like watching the other person this like more confident socially aware person come at this party and you're kind of wishing like you were like them and you're and then like the song ends with the singer imagining That person taking a ray gun and shooting everyone at the party and uh, putting us all of our misery as we go back to like socializing again. Um, So Mm. it's just like kind of fits this like kind of awkward, squirmy spring is coming moment. Um, So, yeah, wet leg. Good band.
0: Sounds comforting, Spencer. (laughs) (laughs) As for me, my, uh, I think my music diet is definitely a lot more limited than the two of you. I, I kind of stick with my main pop girls. <laughs> so when I was thinking about my comfort listens and who I've been listening to a lot lately, I've been listening to uh, this British pop star named Maisie Peters, who was <laughs> in L.A. very recently. And I went to her concert. Uh, she was discovered, maybe unfortunately, by Ed Sheeran. So, you can imagine what her sound...
2: What do we call an Ed
1: fan?
0: I don't know. Math? math...
1: I'm actually not sure. Yeah. (laughs)
0: mathlete? Anyway, her her first album, I think, is a lot of fun. And it's something that you can dance around in your bedroom too. But also, during the early days of the pandemic, during lockdown, she did a series called and i think you you know why i like this she she called it bed covers so it was covers of other songs in her bedroom <laughs> but um <laughs> um and and those covers were she she has a really sweet light voice so i had those on repeat for a while and then i may have been dancing around in my bedroom to her first album it's called you signed up for this so yeah just sticking with my pop girls Pop girls are the best. <laughs> Pop girls are the best.
1: Whether they're main or or not.
0: <laughs> All right. On that note, I think that does it for the show. The review is produced by Kevin Townsend with help from AC Valdez. The executive producer of Atlantic Podcast is Claudine Ebade, And our art is by Charlie Le Mignon. I'm Shirley Lee. Thanks, Hannah. Thanks, Cheryl. And thanks, Spencer.
1: Thank you.